Welcome to the Powers on Sports Podcast, Episode 3. My name is Jason Powers. I'm your host. I'm down here in Tampa, Florida. And we are going to talk about a wide array of topics here tonight. Including the Tour Championship. The one and only return of one Tiger Eldrick Woods. What a fantastic finish to the the PGA Tour season with Tiger taking home the Tour Championship and nearly winning the FedEx Cup. We're going to do a little Ryder Cup, which is coming up this week over in Paris. We're going to talk the NFL, lots of topics in the NFL to talk about. You got had some pretty big upsets last week. You have the dilemma of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Do you play Ryan Fitzpatrick or do you bring back Jameis Winston? We're going to talk about are the Patriots finally on the downward spiral in trouble off to a one and two start. We're going to talk about some undefeated teams, some winless teams, some big injuries in the NFL, and some all the. We're going to discuss the rookie quarterbacks that are now all playing. We're going to get into some college football action. There were some big upsets in the college football world last week. We're also going to talk about some of the big games this coming up week. There's a couple monster games. We're going to review last week's couple of, couple games from last week that have some major national championship college football playoff implications. We're going to talk about some couple couple big programs made some big quarterback changes. Teams that both teams have national championship hopes in Clemson and Notre Dame. So we're going to talk about their quarterback situations and do the coach, Coach Dabo Sweeney and Brian Kelly, did they make the right move here? The resurgence of Texas. Texas seems to be waking up finally after all these years in the in the doldrums with Tom Herman down in Austin. Another big win over TCU. And we're going to talk a little Kentucky Wildcats. Two big upset Wins over ranked teams. They're ranked. Storming the field last week, getting fined 100000 by the SEC, all that good stuff. We're going to talk a little baseball playoffs. The end of the regular season is coming up this Sunday with the wild card games coming up early next week. We're going to talk about the which who's in, who's out. I'm going to give you some predictions for the wild cards. And we're going to give you a quick little synopsis of the baseball playoffs. And lastly, we're going to talk a little fantasy football. My teams are on fire, by the way. I've got a fantastic team. I pulled out a W last night with the during the Buccaneers-Pittsburgh Monday night game. So we're going to talk a little fantasy football. A couple, I'm going to give you a couple sleeper players to try to pick up and or acquire in your league to give you a little help. So first off, we're going to talk a little golf. Tiger Woods, unbelievable. It's been five years since Tiger last won on tour. You know, we all know the story about Tiger. You know, he had he had off the course issues with some infidelity, with some he got in trouble for a DUI, had some alleged, you know, issues with uh, dependency on pain medication, that kind of stuff. You know, all the the spiral that started in 2009. Obviously, he also has had some major health issues the last seven or eight years, back issues, knee issues. You know, there was a major. Uh, concern whether Tiger would ever be able to play again competitively, much less be a factor on the tour. And if you follow Tiger this year, which I know a lot of us have, he's he's been very in the, he's been in the mix at several tournaments, beginning here in Tampa at the Valspar tournament. He was in in the mix at a couple of majors where he was in the hunt uh, into Sunday, uh, just not able to close the deal. But uh, this week in Atlanta at the Tour Championship, he put together four very good rounds. Came out firing on Thursday. He's actually led the last two tournaments he's played in on Thursdays, which has been a rarity for him. Tiger usually is a slow starter when it comes to these tour events and majors and usually comes on in the second, third, fourth round. But these last two events, he's come out on fire. He had the lead after the first round. He, he basically led wire to wire. Uh, played a great round on Saturday. If you watched any of the golf on Saturday, uh, he, I think he birdied six out of his first seven holes and was just was just on fire. The crowds were unbelievable in Atlanta. If you if you uh, Sunday, if you're watching on Sunday, which rarely would a golf event take away any coverage from the NFL, but I promise you, with Tiger in the mix and pretty much assured of winning, 
many, many people were flipping channels back and forth between the NFL games and the tour championship, especially on the back nine as Tiger was getting oh so close to the 18th. You watched the, the tour uh, championship. You saw the mob of people following Tiger up the 18th fairway in green. It was an unbelievable scene. If you didn't see it, definitely YouTube it or Google it. It looked like a mob scene from a scene from Game of Thrones or back back in the early days of golf. You used to see Arnie's Army where you would just have thousands of people would be following him up the fairways. And, you know, Sunday in Atlanta, there was I'm, I would guess there was probably eight to ten thousand people following him up him up the fairway. It was just an incredible scene. Tiger very emotional after the tournament win. You know, I think it's mean it means it, it clearly means a lot to him. He's he's you know he's forty two years old, hadn't won in forever. Major comeback that he was on from from the health issues, and I think he really appreciated the support from the, both the fans and the players. You know, one thing Tiger has been accused of over the years is not being very you know not a, not not having a whole lot of friends on the tour. And I think as he's aged, I think he's realizing that you know, enjoy the moment a little bit more, develop some more friendships and more relationships on the tour with other players, you know, other players, his families, wives, girlfriends, tour officials, things like that, and the fans especially, where I think you're seeing a lot a lot more softer Tiger when it comes to being on the course. Now, he still has his moments when he's a competitor and he may say the wrong thing occasionally, you know, throw a club once in a blue moon, but I think he, in the last couple of years he's really – started to mellow it mellow down a little bit and really uh, uh, appreciate become the kind of the father figure of the tour I think it's one of the other interesting things of with all the young talent that's on the tour these days that the guys that are under 30 this was probably the first time in their career they've seen Tiger win a tournament you know to be in a tournament where Tiger's been the man uh, dominated the tournament he really dominated this tournament and uh, I think I think a lot of the younger players uh, it was probably cool for them to see that for the first time. And also from an intimidation factor, you know, Tigers, Tigers probably got another three or four good years left if he stays healthy as far as being competitive on the tour. So it's, it's going to be very interesting to see how, uh, how this leads into next year, going into the Masters and all the majors and all that stuff. So a great week for Tiger. Uh, you know, Justin Rose won the, uh, the, the FedEx Cup. He had to make a par on the last hole, and he made a par on the last hole. Or had he not made the par, Tiger would have actually won the FedEx Cup and would have won would have won an additional ten million dollars. That would have really capped it off. But uh, Justin Rose did win the FedEx Cup, and now all those guys, basically the Tour Championship. If you didn't know, the Tour Championship was basically a thirty-person event. Basically, the top thirty from the FedEx Cup advanced to the Tour Championship to finish out the tour, the the. the uh, the $10 million FedEx Cup. Um, so it was a very limited field. And now all the big guns are going over to Paris this week for the Ryder Cup, which is obviously always a very uh, spirited event between the U.S. team and the uh, European team. So that starts on, I believe it's Friday. They'll play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, Woods is on the team. Mickelson's on the team. Jim Furyk's the, the, uh, the Ryder Cup captain this year. Lots of expectations for the U.S. team. Be very interesting to see how they get paired up. I uh, saw a quote from Mickelson today playing with Tiger that he said this is the best he's ever seen Tiger Woods hit a golf ball in their practice round, which is saying something. And I don't think Phil would be just making that up for 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 the uh, for, for the event. I think he was probably being pretty truthful. So it's uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, how, how uh, Furyk pairs up the American teams. A lot of speculation that Tiger might get paired up with Mickelson, uh, maybe a DeChambeau, those guys, and you know the, the camaraderie that goes with these Ryder Cups events are unbelievable, and the, and the crowd support. Obviously, the uh, the event is in Paris, so it's going to be on European soil, so it makes it a little more challenging, you know, a little more riled up, and these you know the the crowds at these Ryder Cups have been accused over the years of being sometimes out of line, a little little over over the edge. So it'll be interesting to see how all that plays out this week and. Uh, the kind of the little rivalries that that'll develop over the weekend between these these pairings, the different different pairings. They play another Ryder Cup. They play best ball pairings. They play alternate shot pairings, and then on Sunday they play all twelve guys play against the other twelve guys in singles events. So that that's typically the uh, obviously that will decide Sunday will decide the Ryder Cup. So how these pairings are made up, and matched up, and these guys get matched up on 
basically the, on Sundays when it's the 12 against 12, it's random pairing. So the European team doesn't know the order of the Americans and vice versa. So it's always interesting to see some of the pairings that end up developing in these one-on-one battles. And uh, so it'll be it'll be a pretty cool uh, pretty cool in- environment. Early morning starts. If you're a golf fan, you're gonna have to wake up early in the morning. I think I think they start playing at like two or three a.m. Eastern time because of the time change over in France. But uh, if you if you're a big golf fan, it's definitely well worth it. I'm, I'm pretty positive the uh, the event's gonna be on the Golf Channel and NBC. So definitely take a peek at that. So the golf scene, the golf season is going to be coming to a dramatic end this year. And obviously the, the, the last, you know, October, November, December tends to be these uh, kind of silly events where they'll play for a lot of money and that kind of stuff. So uh, a lot you, you won't see a lot of the big name players after this week at the Ryder Cup. Most of those guys will take the rest of the year off and you'll see the uh, you'll see the middle of the road PGA Tour guys in these last month and a half, two months worth of tournaments. Uh, you got Phil and Tiger playing Thanksgiving weekend in their little uh, uh, showdown for I think they're playing for ten million bucks out in Vegas, so that'll be interesting to see. I, I did read where that's going to be on pay per view, which is to me that's a disaster. That won't that that'll be a bad draw. People aren't. I don't envision a whole lot of people paying to see that. I'm just stunned and surprised that the Golf Channel or TBS or TNT or one of the one of the cable networks didn't didn't pony up to to broadcast this because. That's an event that we all need to be able to see on TV, um, public TV, and not have to be a pay-per-view type of event. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Hopefully they'll might hopefully they maybe come to their senses in the next month and figure out a way to get it on uh, broadcast TV where, where we all can see that. So it it can really be a truly national event on Thanksgiving weekend. So all right, on to the to the NFL. We had some major upsets last week. Those, those of us, me included, that you're in one of these survivor pools, we all took a major hit uh, with Minnesota getting destroyed at home by the Buffalo Bills. Just an inexplicable performance by the Vikings at home. You know, the game was never even competitive, to be all honest. Uh, the first, it was 17 to nothing right out of the gate. You know, turnover, a turnover fest by Kirk Cousins. The offensive line for Minnesota was terrible. Cousins got strip sacked twice. They turned the ball over, interceptions. Josh Allen led led the led Buffalo to 17 points. It was you know 24 to nothing at the half, and the game was really never in doubt. To be honest with you, it's just one of those fluke performances, unexplainable. I think I think Buffalo was the biggest underdog to win in the NFL outright in the last 10 to 12, 15 years. They were like 17 point underdogs, and that's just you know to win the game. It's just a rarity, and you know, a lot of these teams that are double-digit underdogs will play the game close and be competitive, but actually winning the games are rare. So, credit to Buffalo for doing that. You know, one of the issues Minnesota might have had is if uh, they're one of their uh, star defensive ends, Everson Griffin, is apparently in a lot of uh, having some having some mental health issues. You know, there's an inc- there was there's been reports of an incident where he was at a hotel threatening people, threatening teammates. And basically, the Vikings told Griffin that he was not allowed back at the facility for, with, to participate in any football activities until he was, until he actually uh, agreed to have a mental mental health examination. And I think that's happening as of uh, Tuesday. So hopefully, the guy gets his get, gets gets figured out what's going on. You know. It wouldn't shock me if, if, you know, obviously a lot of the, a lot of the, a lot of guys in the league for one reason or another may have, you know, have, have, we all have, like we all have mental health issues. A lot of people in the, in the, in have mental health issues, whether it's bipolar, whether it's schizophrenia. So hopefully the guy gets help and at least gets figured out what's going on. So if, if he needs to get on medication, get some help and all that stuff, because uh, this guy's a good player. He's never really been in trouble before. So it's not like he's been a problem player. So it'll be interesting to see how, how all that unfolds in Minnesota. You had some other uh, big games. You had a, a Monday night last uh, Monday night in Tampa. You had the Steelers found a way to escape Tampa with a win. The Steelers jumped out to a 30 to 10 lead at the half against uh, Tampa Bay and the Bucks. Fitzpatrick and the Bucks turned the ball over four times in the second quarter to, to get Pittsburgh out to a big lead. 
Fitzpatrick brought the Bucks back in the second half. They outscored Pittsburgh 17-0 in the second half. Had the ball with three minutes to go, down three points. Uh, and timeouts to go win the game or tie the game. And was not, you know, were facing a fourth and fourth and ten from their own 20-yard line. And in the surprise move, in my opinion, the Bucks decided to punt and not go for it. Um, I thought they should have gone for it, fourth and ten. If you don't make it. You still got time to hold Pittsburgh to a field goal, and you can still win the game, 34-33. They decided to punt. Uh, Pittsburgh got two first downs. Big Ben made an incredible throw on third and eight, avoided the sack twice, and then hit a threw the ball across his body, across the field, hit the guy for a first down. So basically iced the game there. So a huge win for Pittsburgh. Obviously, Pittsburgh still dealing with all the – Antonio Brown issues from last week, the Le'Veon Bell holdout. So it was basically a must-win, almost a must-win game for Pittsburgh. They found a way to get it done. They go to 1-1-1, and and Tampa Bay drops to 2-1. The big question, uh, you also had a, uh, the big question facing the Buccaneers following the game is the Jameis Winston suspension is over. The decision has to be made. What do you do? Do you go with Fitzpatrick or do you go back to Winston? You know, uh, Dirk Cutter said today in his uh, day after the game press conference that he's he's already told Winston and Fitzpatrick what's going to happen, but he's keeping the decision secret from the public and from the Bears because they play at Chicago next Sunday, so he's trying to keep that uh, secretive and you know, but I think all sentiment all you know Fitzpatrick played very very well threw for over 400 yards again through three touchdowns he did have the three interceptions but he played very very well in the second half. Nearly brought him back from a 20 to 20 point deficit to win. I would fully expect Fitzpatrick to start Week Four in Chicago, kind of be on a week to week situation here. Unless he, I mean, if he blows up and throws another three or four picks, then Cutter will be, Cutter will make the move. The Bucks are off in Week Five on their bye, so they'll have this Chicago game. In my opinion, to to to, to see Fitzpatrick if he doesn't have a good game in Chicago. They'll, they'll have plenty of time to make a decision on what to do week going into week six but uh, after their bye. But it'll be a very interesting situation. for the, Again, the Buccaneers have a major decision to make at the end of this year. Jameis Winston's owed $21 million on his, uh, on his fifth-year option of his contract. And the Bucs have until, I believe it's March 1st or 3rd, to make a decision to exercise that option. They do not have to. They could get out of the contract prior to March 3rd and cut Winston without any salary cap implications. They could exercise the option of $21 million for next year, which is not, in today's world of dollars for quarterbacks, is not horrendous to do, and have Winston play on a one-year contract. So they have some, they have some options to, 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 do, to do some things. Uh, I think at some point during the year, Winston will get back in the lineup, uh, whether it's due to injury or poor play or record. So uh, I would fully expect at some point Winston plays again. But, again, Fitzpatrick's played very well so far. If he plays, if he continues to play, that means the Bucks are winning, which that's a good thing because I'm a Bucks fan. That means he's doing well. And if, you, if you've watched him play, you can tell he has rapport with the receivers, with the play caller, with the head coach, and with the teammates. Again, the one thing Winston has kind of been uh, maligned for over the last couple of years is he's not, he's not been – his leadership skills haven't been questioned, but he's kind of, you know, obviously he with his off the field issues, he's his his reputation in the community in Tampa is not great. Lots of people think they should get rid of Jameis, be done with it. Others think that he he should be given one more opportunity. Uh, it, it's it'd be it's a very interesting dilemma that the Glazers face following at the end of this year. I think it's going to be uh, very dependent on how he plays when he, if he does play. So. Um, he better play very well, or the Bucks could could cut him loose and cut ties with him. Uh, and it also will depend on what happens with Dirk Cutter and Jason Light. If those guys are retained, there's a higher likelihood that they would keep Winston. If there's a new coaching staff on board, uh, it's probably very much 50-50 that they, that they would not keep him, especially if you have a new coach coming in and a new general manager. They may want to start completely clean with a new quarterback. So lots of big decisions in Tampa to come in the next couple of weeks. But I do like where the Bucks are going. They've been very competitive. The defense has uh, been decent, not great at all by any means, but they've been okay. Uh, but the offense has been very, very, very good. So I, I, I'm, I'm expecting the Bucks to continue to play well. 
and we'll see what happens in Pittsburgh with with the whole Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, all that drama that's going on in the Pittsburgh locker room. Patriots, are they in trouble? Belichick went to Detroit and got schooled by his former uh, pupil, Matt Patricia. Very impressive performance by the Lions on Sunday night. They played keep away from the from from Tom Brady and the Patriots. Very good performance. The Patriot defense was not very good at all. The offense was just lacking playmakers. Josh Gordon was held out Sunday, uh, did not play. You still have Edelman out on suspension. He'll be back in after after the end of week four. They basically double-teamed Gronkowski every single play and made Brady throw to somebody else, and those guys just couldn't get open. Hogan, uh, Philip Dorsett. Uh, the running game was not very good either. You know, they got stuffed on multiple third and ones, which killed the drives. And uh, Very interesting to see how the Patriots are going to respond. The Patriots are 1-2. and two. They get a visit from the 3-0 and o Dolphins this week in a, in a very critical game for the Patriots up in Foxborough. The Patriots have not been in a situation like this this early in the season where if they were to lose Sunday to Miami, they'd be three and a half games behind in the division race. I'm not saying that's insurmountable, but... When you're three and a half games behind anybody, especially a team that's starting to play with some confidence, which the Dolphins are, it's it's just a it's a challenge. It doesn't it leaves you very little room for error. So it'd be interesting, very interesting to see how the how the Patriots play week. You know, this coming up week, I fully expect Josh Gordon to be in the lineup this week. Uh, I would, I mean, I would expect New England to win the game at home, but it wouldn't shock me if they didn't. Um, and again. We're going to talk about the Dolphins here in just a little, in just a second here. But uh, very impressed with the Dolphins coming up to going up to Foxborough, and they they get the uh, one and two Patriots, and again, again, trouble and trouble in paradise up in New England. You got books coming out about the Belichick Brady relationship. You got you know all the stuff involved with Alex Guerrero and Tom Brady's personal trainer and all that good stuff. So it'd be very, very, very. One of those circle the wagon kind of weeks up in New England, I would imagine. So I would expect them to come out and play well. They've not played well the last couple of weeks, so I would expect them to come out and play well. And again, I think you'll see Josh Gordon. I think he'll make a uh, he'll make an impact Sunday uh, as well. So some under, only only three teams are left undefeated in the NFL after three weeks, which is, which is pretty surprising. Typically, you have four or five teams, but uh, the undefeated teams are the Dolphins. The Kansas City Chiefs, who are on fire on offense. Patrick Mahomes setting the world on fire, throwing the ball. He's got like 13 touchdown passes in three weeks, which is incredible. And you got the L.A. Rams, who have just been a been a juggernaut so far. Though the Rams did suffer some two or three major defensive injuries over the weekend. Both their corners, Marcus Peters and Akib Talib, who likes the Chiba. He's out. He's they're both both those guys got injured. So both corners are out for for the Rams. But their offense is just on fire. You got Goff, you got Gurley, you got Robert Woods, you got Brandon Cooks, you got uh, you know just a you got a great play caller in Sean McVay and the coach. So it's gonna be very interesting to see how how far the Rams can go before they lose. Uh, again, Kansas City's uh, an offensive juggernaut with Mahomes, Tyreek Hill. You got Kareem Hunt. You got Kelsey, Andy Reid calling the plays. So it's just a Super exciting to watch. They're scoring a ton of points. Uh, winless teams. You got three teams that are winless. You got Arizona, which is a little bit of a surprise. I wouldn't say a shocker, but a little bit of a surprise. They're 0-3. They finally have pulled the plug on the Sam Bradford era. is now over. And you got the Josh Rosen era beginning. They, they, they really had Chicago on the ropes last Sunday. And we're up big early. Chicago came back and won the game 16-14 in the desert. So, so the Arizona's made a change to Saint, uh, Josh Rosen. You got Chucky and the Oakland Raiders. Again, played well in Miami. Had my, was, was winning that game till deep into the fourth quarter. Just could not put the game away. The Dolphins scored two late sco- touchdowns in the fourth quarter in Miami to, to, to get to 3-0 and send John Gruden to 0-3, which is, you know, again, not hard. Not ridiculously to believe, especially after they've traded uh, traded Khalil Mack, but very disappointed in Oakland. You know, played 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 have played very well the last two weeks and just haven't won. And then you got the 0 and three Houston Texans Texans. That's that's very much of a surprise. They got beat by the Giants, who were another winless team going into Week Three. 
Deshaun Watson's playing okay. Their offensive line is terrible. Their defense has not been not been very good. They've got a lot of big names on defense in Houston, uh, but have not played very well so far. J.J. Watt, Jadavian Clowney, you got Whitney Merciless. You know, I'm I'm not a big fan of Bill O'Brien as a head coach. You know, he he you know he was in big trouble last year. Had Deshaun Watson not developed as quickly as he was, so it wouldn't shock me one bit if he's out here pretty soon, maybe at the end of this year. Uh, devastating injury in the NFC for the 49ers. You got Jimmy G towards ACL on a fluke run play. You know, these quarterbacks, you know, well, I watched the play happen, and and Garoppolo was running to the sidelines, and at the last second he decided he was going to get cute and try to cut up the field and get an extra yard or two. He cut up the field. When he cut, he, he planted his left foot. His left knee buckled, blew his knee out. Had he run straight out of bounds, I don't. I don't think he would have tore his knee. I don't know that, but just the way the way he did it, it was completely un, an unnecessary cut. He, he gained a half a yard when I when he initially got hit. I thought he got hit in the shoulder. I thought he hurt his shoulder, but he tore his knee. So that's just a devastating blow for the 49ers. Huge expectations for the 49ers this year uh, with with Garoppolo, with Kyle Shanahan. You got John Lynch running the show out there, so. Devastating loss for them. They're going to struggle the rest of the way, I would anticipate. Uh, not good news for NBC and ESPN because the 49ers have five games on national TV here in the, in the in between now and the end of the season. So the 49ers are, are the, the executives and NBC and ESPN are not very excited about that. I can promise you that with the C.J. Beathard era about to begin in San Fran. So... Tough, uh, tough blow there. Yeah, you got more issues with the roughing the quarterback calls in the NFL. You got another Clay Matthews roughing the passer call. Very tough to handle. Three weeks in a row for him. Uh, Mike McCarthy went went postal on the officials during the game when the call when the call happened. Tough call to absorb. I, you know, being an official, I, you know, I understand where they're coming from when they're trying to protect the quarterbacks, but. You got to let these guys play a little bit, and they're just not—they're just not giving them much leeway and enough room to to to, to do with what the basic things of tackling are allowing them to do. So, I uh, was not a fan of the call, uh, the roughing the passer. They're—they're they're calling it by the book, I guess. They're—they're being—they're calling it like they're being told to be taught. Sounds like the NFL and the competition committee are going to get together and kind of review all this stuff because a lot, several owners are coming out saying they're disappointed in what's how how these this stuff's being called. So I would anticipate here either probably not this week, probably being week five. I think you'll see a, an adjustment in the way that that's officiated um, based on what the competition committee is going to recommend to these guys, to the officials. So hopefully it gets better. There were several rough in the passer calls in the Bucks steelers game on, on Monday night. A uh, couple that were clear-cut calls, and then there were a couple loose calls that you just it was just hard to understand where the foul was. But we'll see how that goes. Uh, I, would, I would anticipate the – the officiating to get better on that on that particular call here in the next couple of weeks because they will modify the interpretation of the rule. So, rookie QBs. It looks like all the rookie QBs that were drafted this year are going to be finally starting. You got Josh Rosen in Arizona. You have Baker Mayfield who played a great game on Thursday night in Cleveland. Got them to a got them to a victory. He's starting. You got Josh Allen in Buffalo, and then you got Sam Darnold with the Jets. So. All four rookies that were taken in the first round. The only rookie not playing that was in that first round was, I believe, Lamar Jackson from Baltimore. And Flacco's playing okay enough to this point. Um, but it, but don't be surprised if Baltimore's out of playoff contention week 11, week 12, that they make that change because they want to see what Lamar Jackson can do. Um, so, But the top four quarterbacks from the draft last year are all starting starting this week. So... You'll see you, you you fans of those teams get ready for some growing pains because you know I know Baker May, Mayfield played very well in the first game, but once these defensive coordinators and defensive staffs get film of you, they understand tendencies, uh, what you like to do, don't like to do, and they're gonna they're gonna game plan around that. So I would expect these guys to struggle uh, over the course of the next ten to twelve weeks. Um, Sam Darnold did not look very good Thursday night against Cleveland. Josh Allen played okay against Minnesota. Then that was more a turnover-driven deal than Josh Allen playing great. But he played pretty well, to be honest with you. Rosen, Rosen, we'll see, and then Mayfield, we'll see as we move forward. So, 
all the rookie quarterbacks, the big-name guys we all know from college are all in the lineup, and so we'll see how that goes. Week number three in the National Football League. Going to mention our sponsors for our show. We got some great uh, some organizations that are that are that are businesses that are helping us out. We're going to be sponsoring the show. We got the Running Center, uh, which is a running uh, store here in the Tampa Bay area. If you're looking for some great gear, as far as you want to get your the shoe uh, your foot fitted for the right type of sh running shoe, running apparel, all that kind of stuff, the Running Center. Uh, you got Power Stories Theater which is a women's theater uh, organization here in Tampa that puts on theater performances and seminars throughout the year uh, that focuses on women's stories and leadership and uh, young, young women. Five Star Athletics is a company that uh, sells athletic uniforms, athletic equipment, uh, you know, custom polos, hats, all that kind of stuff. If you're in the business world, you need staff apparel. If you're in the athletics world and you want to outfit your team, your coaching staff, your parents, all those kind of things, whether it's shoes, balls, bats, gloves, footballs, uh, baseballs, basketballs, anything you need in the athletic apparel and equipment world, five-star athletics can help you. Patrick Highland, our insurance quarterback. Patrick deals with a lot of Medicare, Medic, uh, Medicare uh, uh, clients, insurance clients, financial management, the insurance quarterback, 813-966-1052. The insurance quarterback, my man Patrick Highland down there in, here in Tampa. He'll come see you, give him a call if you need some, any insurance needs. Got Sam Jenkins Designs. If you've seen our logo for the podcast, the Powers on Sports podcast, Sam Jenkins designed that, the, the logo for us. Did a great job. Looks great. Very sharp. And you got last and last, you have the PK kicking, which is my. Uh, I do some work with high school high school football kids. I, I, I work with them on kicking and punting. Kickthefootball.com is my website. Go check it out if you have a, you have anybody that's ever in the need for kicking instruction or punting instructions. Give us a, give us a, give us a, give me a call. Check out the website. I've worked with a lot of kids over the years here in in. in in Alabama, Mississippi, Georgia, uh, Florida, all over the Southeast. I have a kid that's playing at Delta State University, a Division II school. His name's Cody Mills. He's the number four ranked punter in the country so far uh, in Division II, and he's the number 11th ranked punter in the, if you combine all the Division II schools and the Division I schools. So Cody Mills, congratulations, having a great year up at Delta State. Keep it up. Check us out at kickthefootball.com. We're going to move on to the college football world where we have where we also had some couple couple interesting storylines develop over the weekend. We had a colossal upset. We had Old Dominion take down Virginia Tech, which is a which is crazy to even think about. Old Dominion University haven't been playing Division One football but just a few years. Take down the big mighty Hokies of Virginia Tech. State of Virginia clash, huge upset. So it was uh, very, very cool to watch on TV. Those guys, I know the Old Dominion quarterback was a was a first ever start. He was a walk on, threw for nearly 500 yards against Virginia Tech, a notoriously very good defensive team. So just a stunning upset there. I think they were 29, 30 point underdogs, which is just crazy to think about. Um, you had Army. Army went to Oklahoma and nearly, nearly took out the Sooners, took them to overtime. So a great effort by the cadets at Army. They always play uh, these big teams very well. I think I saw a stat where Army had the ball 44 minutes. Oklahoma only had the ball 15-plus minutes as that game went to overtime. So Army and Navy and the Air Force, they all typically run that option slow the tempo, burn the clock, run the ball, run the ball. So congratulations to, to Army for playing playing very well and also uh, and put a major scare into Oklahoma. You had some ranked teams going down. You had Oregon in a stunning defeat to Stanford. If you, if you watched any of that game, 
Oregon was in complete control of that game throughout middle to late third quarter. They're up 24-7. Oregon runs down the sidelines for an apparent touchdown. After review, it's shown that the running back kicks the pylon, which puts the ball at the one-half yard line. Two plays later, there's a fumble. Stanford picks the – it's about to be 31-7, game over. Two plays later, there's a fumble, fumbled snap. Stanford picks up the ball and runs 85 yards for a touchdown, turns the complete momentum of the game around. Oregon is still up three points in the waning moments, and instead of kneeling down, Stanford or Oregon runs runs up the middle. The, the running back for Oregon fumbles. Stanford recovers, drives down, kicks a game-winning, game-tying field goal at the end of regulation, and takes out Oregon in overtime. So just a, an incredible W by Stanford. David Shaw, one of my favorite coaches in the country, just a great you know just a great coach. Fantastic X's and O's guy, player development, all that good stuff that goes on at Stanford. It will shock me if he's not in the NFL in a couple of years or at a just a mega NCAA job in the next couple of years. He's just he. I guarantee if you pulled people around the country, he's one of the top five five coaches in the country uh, for what he does at Stanford. So a huge win for Stanford. Those have national big national championship implications because the Pac-12 has been been struggling as far as teams losing and all that kind of good stuff. So that's a huge win for Stanford to keep their national championship playoff hopes alive. Um, them in Washington, Stanford and Washington are clearly the best two teams in that conference, in my opinion. Uh, Washington, they both have an opportunity still to go to the playoffs, but there are some weak teams in the in the in the Pac-12 with UCLA down. You got Oregon State's not very good. You have Arizona's not very good. So it's going to be difficult for these teams to run the table. USC's lost a couple games already. So it's going to be interesting to see how how the Pac-12 champion, whether it's probably going to be USC or Washington, how they get evaluated in the playoff system. Wouldn't shock me at all if they get left out of the playoffs at the end. But it's a huge win for Stanford. Stanford has a huge game this week at Notre Dame. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. Couple other ranked teams that took losses: Oklahoma State, Mississippi State went to went to Lexington, and the Wildcats got them. Mark Stoops is doing a great job at Kentucky. Kentucky's now beaten Florida and Mississippi State. Both were ranked at the time in the last three weeks. And then you got Boston College; they were ranked for the first time in a long time. They got pounded by Purdue, uh, which is not overly surprising, but. Again, BC has not been ranked very much, you know, has not been ranked for quite some time. The first week they see a little prosperity, they get smacked when they went to West Lafayette by the Purdue Boilermakers. You got some big games this week with some playoff implications. You got Notre Dame at Stanford goes to Notre Dame. Uh, will be very interesting to see how, how Stanford recovers from that overtime game, having to travel back to back weeks, first to Oregon and then now to South Bend. So it'll be very interesting to see how that that's a, that's a uh, top ten matchup there. Huge playoff implications. Notre Dame undefeated will be very tough to keep out of the playoff if they if they get to the if they get to the end of the year. Even with one loss, it would be very d- difficult to keep Notre Dame out. Lots of uh, you know national national uh, following. Lots of. Uh, you know, there's always the room, the speculation that Notre Dame gets the benefit of the doubt with the pollsters and with the uh, selection committee. So, huge game for for both those programs. Uh, I think the I think if Notre Dame loses, they're not out. But I think if Stanford loses, they might be out. So it may be a this might be an elimination game up in in South Bend. It should be a great atmosphere, prime time Saturday night NBC. The other huge matchup for the weekend is going to be Ohio State. Traveling to Happy Valley. Uh, again, first big game back since Urban Myers returned. You know, Ohio State goes to Penn State. You got a great quarterback in Haskins at Ohio State. Penn State's got McSorley. It seems like he's been at Penn State quarterbacking for the last 10 years with, with James Franklin. It'll be an electric atmosphere. That'll be the that'll be the ES the ABC game with Herb Street and Fowler. So it'll be a Awesome environment up there in Happy Valley. Probably be a little chilly late September. That'll be nah, I should say that. it'll be nice. It'll probably be in the seventies. Perfect, perfect. Hopefully in very nice weather conditions. I think Ohio State wins the game. 
I think that quarterback for Ohio State is really, really good. Uh, I think he he and the uh, quarterback from Oregon are the two best quarterbacks. Him and he, the quarterback from Oregon, which is Justin Herbert, as well as two are the three best quarterbacks in the country, in my opinion, uh, that I've seen. Um, but Haskins will definitely be a first round draft pick in my uh, in, in two years. Um, so should be a great great game, great atmosphere. Those are the two big matchups this week on the college docket. A sneaky good matchup is BYU going to Washington. BYU's ranked. They, if you recall, they beat Wisconsin a couple weeks ago. Washington, very good team out out west with Chris Peterson. Uh, they're still in the mix, even though they lost to Auburn early. They they're still in the mix, but they got to run the table. <clears throat> they cannot afford a second loss. BYU is just one of those sneaky teams that always plays good teams well. They're just one of those tough teams. Uh, very, very rugged, very uh, active, active teams. Always tend to play close games. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if this game goes down to the wire. I, th- I would expect Washington to win at home, but who knows. Um, I, but, but again, I think, I think Washington gets it done. I think Ohio State goes to Penn State and gets it done. I think Ohio State's about a three-and-a-half, four-point favorite. And you got Notre Dame, Stanford. I think Notre Dame's going to get it done. Uh, I think the travel, the back-to-back road games, the overtime game is going to take its toll on Stanford a little bit. I think Notre Dame's got a great defense. They just we're going to talk about it here in a second. They made a quarterback change to more of a, a little a guy who can throw the ball much better than than the previous guy than Brandon Winbush could. So you're going to have a new quarterback. Big game at home. I think the Irish will get it done on prime time. NBC. Because like my man Bino Cook used to say, Notre Dame has material. So I think it's going to be a fun game, fun atmosphere. Not a lot of great games other than those three on the docket this week. A lot of, lot of, uh, lot of big mismatches, SEC mismatches, uh, ACC big mismatches. Last thing we'll talk about on the college is a couple of the quarterback changes, a couple of big, big programs made changes. We just talked about Notre Dame. They made a change at quarterback last week at Wake Forest. Ian Books, the new guy at Notre Dame, a little more of a passer. Uh, they put up 56 against Wake Forest. And the big, big, big decision that you, we, we, we've been waiting for for a little while, we finally hear from Dabo Sweeney. He's going with the true freshman, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they uh, they took care of Georgia Tech last week. A lot of people thought that game might, might have a little bit of upset special in it, but uh, Trevor Lawrence played very well at Georgia Tech. And he's been named the starter. You got Kelly Bryant, who's who was the incumbent, played last year. He's now the backup. So we'll see. Uh, Dabo, the cool thing is you can always go back to Kelly Bryant if you need to, I guess. But uh, be interesting to see how Trevor Lawrence plays. Uh, he's very much of a thrower. Great, great arm. Great, uh, great accuracy. That's the one thing Kelly Bryant did not have was the great accuracy. But uh, he did. Ha- he had the experience as being a senior. You know, he knows that offense. So it'll be interesting how Trevor Lawrence and the Clemson Tigers, who've got a cake schedule the rest of the year, they got nobody that's going to threaten them with all the teams that are down in the ACC. Florida State's down, Virginia Tech's down, Miami's, uh, re, you know, still rebuilding. So I, I, I think Clemson's got smooth sailing to the playoffs. So this will give Trevor Lawrence seven or eight more games to play as he gets ready to play, have to play the big boys in the, in the college football playoff. Texas is actually even showing some signs of life. Tom Herman's finally getting it together at Texas. They beat TCU last week. They beat USC the week before. So it'd be interesting to see how how much of a threat Texas can be to Oklahoma in the Big 12. It's always good when Texas is good, and obviously Tom Herman's uh, had you know had great success at Houston. Had a big has a big reputation. Uh, so we'll see how Texas continues the uh, the. Uh, they play. They'll play Oklahoma here in a couple weeks at the uh, Texas State Fair. Always one of the great weekends in college football when those two get together, especially when both teams are good. So I would anticipate a good matchup this week at the uh, when, when those two get together at the Texas State Fair. Texas and OU, the Red River rivalry. So I imagine I would I would anticipate game day potentially could be there. Uh, I'm not sure. I think I'm, I'm sure game day will be at Penn State this week with the Penn State Ohio State game, and it would not shock me if in two weeks you see, or in a couple weeks you see uh, game day at the Red River rivalry as long as both those teams keep winning with Texas and Oklahoma. 
All right, so let's let's talk a little fancy football quickly, and then we'll then we'll wrap it up with the baseball uh, playoff picture and scenarios and some predictions. Fancy football, my two teams, Pewter Powers is my team names. I'm in the Magic City Fantasy Football League as well as the T Town, which is the Tuscaloosa uh, Fantasy Football League. My two teams named Pewter Powers are rolling. I had a big performance last night from Fitzpatrick. And Big Ben, I also had Mike Evans, I had Juju Smith-Schuster, I also had some Jimmy Connors playing running back for Pittsburgh, so I took care of business and what I had to do, I got a really good team, uh, so my team is on fire so far, 3-0 and in both leagues, I, I, got, a, I got a stud stud-filled team, quality drafting here by my, myself, I got to give myself a little credit here, so... Uh, Couple sleepers to be be on the lookout for in your leagues. If you're if you're in need of some uh, some receivers, and, and a running back and a quarterback, I'm going to give you a couple names. Andy Dalton might be available in your league. I would definitely take a look at him. He's he's uh, been playing pretty well this year. He didn't have a great game last week at Carolina, but he's been very very solid so, so far the first three weeks. Good wide receiver core. When they get Joe Mixon back, he'll be a good player. Chris Carson on the running back circuit. If you're in the need for a running back. May want to look at Chris Carson out in Seattle. Remember, he got hurt last year. He, a lot of ex- uh, people thought he was going to be a good player last year. Got hurt. Alfred Morris is another guy that's probably going to be available in some leagues. It's out in San Francisco. I think now with the new quarterback, they're going to be more of a run-dependent team. Morris fits what they want to do. Uh, Matt Breida, the other running back out in San Fran's hurt, which I predicted, by the way. I kept telling everybody that guy will be hurt in two weeks, so. Guy named guy like Alfred Morris be a good guy to gobble up, probably available. Adrian Peterson, that's another guy that uh, has been a resurgent here the last couple this year in Washington. Had a great game this last week. Probably not available, but you could probably make a trade for him for something relatively cheap. Couple wide receiver options. Josh Gordon, obviously with the Patriots. If, if again, he's probably not available, but he might be somebody you could trade for 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 at a decently fairly low cost. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders out in Denver has great seems to have great rapport with Case Keenum. He scored twice in three weeks and has had three solid games. You got Julian Edelman coming back from suspension at the end of this week, uh, end of week four, and then you have one guy a sleeper who, down the road. If you need somebody to stash away till maybe week ten, week eleven, there's some speculation that Hunter Henry, the tight end for San Diego, which is the L.A. Chargers now that he might have an opportunity to come back later in the season from his ACL injury. So you may want to look at him if you have an injury. Some leagues have an injury uh, slot on your team where you can put an injured player that doesn't account against your active roster. If you do, I would definitely look at Hunter Henry as a potential guy to stash away for later in the season. So just some fantasy tidbits I'll try to give you every week as we move along as my team hopefully continues to dominate in my two leagues. So, last thing we're going to talk about tonight is the Major League Baseball playoffs. The regular season ends this coming up Sunday. You got your wild card games. It's going to be early next week, Tuesday, Wednesday, I believe. Pretty much in the American League, all the teams are decided. We know who's going to be in the playoffs. The only question is who's going to be hosting the wild card game. Will it be in the boogie down of the Bronx at Yankee Stadium, or will it be at the pit of all pit stadiums? The uh, dumpster, which is Oakland Stadium, the Oakland Alameda County Coliseum. You got the A's and the Yankees will be playing in the playoff. We're just not sure who's going to be hosting the wild card game. You got Boston. Is a, Boston will be the one seed. Houston will be the two seed. Cleveland will be the three seed. The wild card winner, Yankees or Oakland, will play Boston, which will be a could be a dramatic matchup with the. It could be Yankees Boston in the, in the uh, divisional round. Then you're going to have Houston, Cleveland in the divisional round. The American League playoffs should be spectacular. With all five, I would say everybody, but probably Oakland probably has a legitimate chance to go to the World Series out of that bunch. Um, I would probably favor Boston, Houston over, but Cleveland's right there. They've made some late season moves, but the uh, but my prediction is going to be I think New York will get out of the wild card and they'll go to Boston. I think Boston will beat them in four games. So I think the Red Sox, I think it'll be the Red Sox and Cleveland is going to be my upset. I'm going to pick an upset. I think it's going to be Boston-Cleveland for the ALCS. 
National League, you have a – this is going to be a wild scenario. Not much has been decided in the National League, I, to be honest with you. The only team that is is in the playoffs that we know where they're going to be is the Atlanta Braves, which has been a very much of a surprise this year. The Braves, they won the National League East. In the Central, you have the Cubs and the, and the Brewers battling it out for the division title. Uh, the Cubs will make – the Cubs will be a wild card if they, some, for some reason, don't win the division. Uh, but I would anticipate the Cubs winning the division. And then the, uh, Milwaukee will most likely be a wild card unless they just totally collapse. Uh, will be one of the two wild card teams. And then the, and the and NL West is where all the drama is. You got L.A., Colorado, and then the wild card mix, you got St. Louis. So uh, the, the, the division winner will be L.A. or Colorado. And then most likely, then you're going to have a three-way battle for the wild card between the loser of the NL West – Milwaukee and St. Louis. Um, I'm gonna. I, I'm gonna make the prediction. LA is gonna win the division, and I think you're gonna have a Colorado Milwaukee wild card game. I think Milwaukee's gonna get out of the wild card game, and they're gonna face the Braves. Um, actually, I think they're gonna face probably. I'm not sure if the Braves or the Cubs have the best record in the in the National League. Might be the Cubs, but uh, so that'll be an interesting. But I think Milwaukee will get out of the wild card. Again, any one of those five teams, in my opinion, could make it to the World Series out of the National League. The one team that I it wouldn't that I could see getting that picked off early would be the Braves, only because of their youth. You know, obviously, you know, youth pitching, pressure, batting, playoff pressure. Some of these they have a lot of young players, a lot of young pitchers. So that's the one team that I could see getting picked off if there wasn't if there was an upset, big upset in the. In the uh, National League playoffs, but of the other four teams, uh, it'd, be, it'd be pretty cool to see an L.A. Chicago rematch uh, for the NLCS. I think that's those are the two best teams. I think um, L.A. probably has the better team than the Cubs, but they're pretty evenly matched. It'd be cool to see Clayton Kershaw against Joe, Joe Madden, the Cubs. Uh, so I think it's going to be L.A. Chicago in the ALC and the NLCS. And I think it's going to be Boston Cleveland in the ALCS. And I'll save my World Series prediction for another week. Again, thanks for listening to Episode 3 of the Powers on Sports Podcast. Again, I want to thank our sponsors, The Running Center, Power Stories Theater, Five Star Athletics, Patrick Hyland, the insurance quarterback, Sam Jenkins Designs. And you can reach Sam Jenkins at samjenkinsdesign.com as his website. And then Kick the Football, PK Kicking Specialists. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you next week. Tell a friend about the Powers on Sports podcast. We'll be on iTunes very soon. We'll be on all the major platforms, Spotify, Stitcher, Facebook. I'll, I'll send out the podcast through Facebook, Twitter. So tell a friend. Take a listen. If you got comments, let us know at KickTheFB. It's our Twitter handle. KickTheFB is our Twitter handle. Or you can send us an email to sportspowers at yahoo.com. Sportspowers at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening and have a great weekend. We'll see you next week.